Yes, we are back. Welcome to a brand new series of Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa. This is the show where I get to speak to people from the world of music and media, food, arts and culture about what makes them who they are. I am excited that our first series has won a Best Interview Podcast Award at the prestigious British Podcast Awards. Just get that one in there. Thank you to all of those who have been on this journey so far and hello to any newcomers. You are all very welcome. Kick your shoes off, squeeze up on the sofa. I'll be exploring what gives my guests that feeling of belonging and solidified identity by asking each of them about four key elements. Those are a person, a place, a phrase and a plate. Now for me, one of them would be, and this is quite specific to my family, powdered like instant pancake mix and the maple syrup derivative once known as Aunt Jemima, that wrapped up in a suitcase would be mulled across continents from, you know, my fancy American relatives and it'd be the most precious thing in the world when like an uncle would arrive with this thing from this incredible world. It really, really evokes that sense of bringing a gift, of generosity, and also how many different cultures have impacted the way my family eats, the way we live, the way we kind of try to share things with each other, and that spirit of generosity. So that would be the one for me, even though these days I'm far too bougie to use powdered pancake mix. I just make my own, of course. So anyway, that is something that I really cherish and definitely gives me a sense of home. But what about my first guest to kick off this new series? We have this modern thing about cultural appropriation because we do appropriate. Of course we do. Like you remember when everybody gave Adele a really hard time when she had her hair in little yeah, yeah, knots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The girl grew up in Tottenham. Yeah. All her mates look like that. Leave her yeah. alone, let her do what she wants to do to her hair. <laughs> Today's guest is a chef, presenter, author, and lapsed punk singer. Um, she began her career as a musician, performing in a variety of bands during the 1980s before turning her hand to presenting in the 90s. She has hosted television and radio programs and documentaries for the BBC, the British Council, ITV, and Channel 4, and has just launched Stirring It Up, her own podcast with her daughter and fellow presenter, Makita Oliver. These days, however, she is perhaps best known as the host of the hugely popular cooking competition, Great British Menu. She has since returned to her early passion for cooking and this year released her first book, The Pepper Pot Diaries, Stories from My Caribbean Table. She is always, to me, an irresistible combination of eloquent thoughtfulness and straight-talking mischief. <laughs> <laughs> a huge welcome to today's guest, Andy Oliver. Hello, that's so nice. How about that? For an intro, I added in that last bit myself at the last moment. Because <laughs> I just think that is you. And, like, you know, I'm kind of hearing that laugh. I'm grinning already. There's something about you. You feel like a cousin. Like, you just remind <laughs> me of so many people that are kind of the building blocks of my life. Are you quite conscious of that? 
in your work on Great British Menu, mm-hmm. going on Saturday Kitchen, things like this, of being a conduit for kind of these ideas and, and also taking up space and yes. kind of being kind of visibly yes. who you oh, are. Yes, I am mm. conscious of it. Mm. I, I could not be conscious yeah. of it, you know, because yeah. there's not many of me around, are yeah, there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I am conscious of it, but I take joy in it. Mm. I don't, it doesn't feel like a weight. Mm. It feels like a, a an opportunity. And again, I've, this is the third time I've used the word privilege and it gets on my nerves, that word these days, because it's very <laughs> overused. Yeah. But it does feel like a a precious thing yeah. that I'm I'm afforded this space that I've ta- that I've made people give me this space yeah. actually yeah. that I take up this space that I uh, inhabit this space yeah. that I can talk about you know when they first asked me to host Great British Menu I said no yes I remember you you spoke about this yeah. because you because I felt like it was really important that there was a woman of color a mm. a, a woman yeah. a woman of color yeah. and a woman my age yeah. in a position of authority yeah. of authority in the culinary world talking about food from all all over the world in yeah, all sorts of different yeah. ways. And I think that that is a precious thing. Holding power. Holding power yeah. and having voice mm. and being respected mm. and having these conversations mm. with all of these dudes and all of these people who mm. perhaps have a narrower lens sometimes yeah. about food excellence and mm. where the beauty lies, you know. I take it very seriously mm. and I celebrate it and I love it. I always kick off by, you know, flipping the title of the show back to uh, my guest and and just getting, you know, a temperature check on their reaction to that question. Mm. Where's home really? Where are you really from? This must be something we mentioned the Pepperpot Diaries there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wonder to what extent it became part of your journey of unpacking with that. What is your initial response? I think my initial response is home really is in my heart. There is something about coming from a diasporic people where you learn that you, you carry home. Mm. Home is not necessarily a tangible place that you sit in. Yeah. My parents certainly carried home within mm. them. And you see that as a child growing up, you can see. And when they talk about home, yeah. their faces would transform. Right. For somebody who has the heritage that I have, yeah. and I guess anybody who's from a migrant or diasporic people will understand that yeah. thing of home being something that you carry in you because Mm. it protects you and it propels you through the next bit of your journey, you know, knowing that you are umbilically linked to this other place is the thing that keeps you going. And Mm. even as a first-generation Caribbean person born here, I still talk about home like I grew up there. I'm from (laughs) Suffolk. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? When I say home, I mean Antigua. I don't mean Barry St. Edmunds. I mean Antigua. You were a forces child and your dad worked for the RAF, was it? Yes, my dad was in the RAF, yeah. And so that straight away calls into question this notion of home being like one single place. Yes. That notion of moving around. But also I imagine when you talk about your dad being this different persona or different person and having this lightness that was kind of foreign to you. I imagine he was, as you're suggesting there, a man of kind of rigour and discipline and things like that. He was very authoritarian. He was a bit of something of a bully. The good things he did in my life were teach me how to cook Mm. and music. He had the most incredible music collection and he was a real kind of bon vivant gourmand. Mm. He loved to cook. You know, he's one of those every single pot, every single thing, make 25 things. Yeah. And, you know, I realised there are so many things about him that I 
have in common with him. Mm. And I found that very difficult to reconcile because I don't, I didn't really like him. And I realised I'm like the good things about him. Mm. And, mm. and that gave me a real release and a yeah. real liberation, yeah. actually, because I realised that what I've done is take the things from him that were of value. We should talk about your place. What place are you going to go for? It's Pigeon Point, which is Pigeon Beach, which is in English Harbour in Antigua. Oh, it's not even that big a beach. Mm. My cousin used to have a beach bar there. Mm. Oh, it's just when I think about it, I get like goosebumps mm. and almost a tear in my eye oh, wow. in a way because I I yearn for it. Yes, yeah. She had this little beach bar and it was literally a shack mm. with a little barbecue and we would do chicken on there and oh, there was wow. a little fridge with red stripe. <laughs> Done. Was that always obvious to you that, oh no, this is where I belong. You talk about going there as a teenager. Was it kind of always very apparent? I think so. You know, so I got there when I was 16, Antigua, Mm. and I had, well, two things. First, I'd never been in a country that was predominantly black. Mm. Mm. So that was a shock to my system. And it was a good shock, but it was really like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's black. It's amazing. (laughs) But the thing that blew my mind the most was walking up the road and this woman said to me, hey, you. And I looked at her and she said, you must be a prince. Prince is my family name, right? My mum's family name. And I went, what? How do you know that? And she said, because of how you walk. Wow. So when we, the women in my family, we call it um, parrot foot in Antigua. (laughs) It's being pigeon-toed. So we all walk like with our feet turned in. Right. And our bums sticking up in the air a little bit. (laughs) And she said, because of how you walk. And I said, how I walk? She went, look at you, a tall parrot foot. And I was like, oh, my goodness. And and then she said, which one are you? And I said, Maria. She went, I went to school with Maria. Oh, wow, and wow. it was this lady. So that that smallness as well and that I kind of community never, and connection. You know, it blew my mind. The mm. idea that somebody can know which family I came from mm. because of the fact that my feet were turned, because of how I walked past <laughs> it. She went, you must be a prince. <laughs> and then it was carnival. And I was in my grandma's house on St. John Street in St. John's in Antigua, which is the capital. And then we went down to Pigeon Beach and Pigeon was the first beach I went to in Antigua and I just fell in love with it completely, irrevocably and forever. And it's almost like the first thing I do when I get to Antigua. I love it there. There's a simplicity to it that speaks to... It helps me breathe. Yeah. Imagining you as a 16-year-old there Mm. and having this defining, eye-opening, yeah. incredible experience incredible. and so, so many the, things going one, on. It was the first time also I didn't feel other. Mm, well, I was going to say that. How do we contrast that with what you were experiencing in, in Bury St. In Edmunds? Well, in the I was 1970s. the only black girl in my school in Bury St. Edmunds, not mm. the year, in the school, mm. you know, and it was a mm. big, like, low-county upper school. It was yeah. a great, big, you know, comprehensive yeah. school. Some of it was, you know, tortured by people, constantly mm. racist, nasty mm. crap. It was the 70s. Yeah. I would say it's before they turned the lights on in the country. <laughs> it was grim. It was grim a lot of the time. So getting to this place and that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't come back. Mm. My dad, I stayed. I stayed for months and months right. and months. Right, wow. Months. So when you were 16, had yeah. you finished school? Or? Well, I didn't really finish school. Right. I got to the point where I was legally allowed to stop going mm. and I just stopped going. Mm. I barely took my exams. Yeah. I was already done. I don't like people telling me what to do anyway. Mm. I mm. liked it even less when I was 16. Yeah. You know, like you remember you used to have careers teachers Mm. I don't know if they still have it and I went and saw my careers teacher and they said oh you know what do you want to do and I said I want to be an actress Mm. and she said don't be ridiculous 
And she told me that there was a job at the Free Telefactory up the road. And I was like, I'm not going to work in the Free Telefactory. I mean, if you want to do that, good on you. But I was not into it, right? And I went home and my mother was livid. My mum's a teacher. Yes, yeah. And my mother was absolutely incandescent right. with rage yeah. that this woman had told me that I couldn't do something. Right. And luckily for me, my mum has always been like that. She mm. taught me to have no put no ceiling on myself yeah. and to have no boundaries yeah. and to, you know to just okay, don't literally have no boundaries no filter <laughs> at all in many ways in many yeah, many yeah. ways might, some of which might, might have interpreted that lesson differently some of which have worked out for the good <laughs> some of it a bit dodgy but she taught me to reach for what I want yeah and to not imagine that I can't do things mm. because somebody else tells me not yeah. to. So, uh, you know, I, very soon after that, I left Berry anyway. And, mm. and came, I think I came back from Antigua and w came to live in right. London. Right, so it was that kind of I like, was already in London instant. quite a bit. And then I went to Antigua with my dad and then I came back mm. and that was that. Yeah. You mentioned their music, talked about wanting to be an actress. And I can hear it now that your love and delight in words and language and phrasing and stuff, that seems to be quite an important component and through line and it's there in your work now. And and so I want to lock in on your phrase that you're going to go for. I'm going to, well, there's two things. The first thing is soul food. Like I just said it to you and I get like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like I get an yeah, internal yeah. little warmth yeah. thing like kicks off because... The idea that food feeds your soul and not just your belly is central to the way that I live, actually. People associate the term soul food with black diasporic cooking. Yeah. And, black, and to me, bangers and mash is also soul yeah, food. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. if I'm in Poland, I want to know what their soul food yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. When I meet somebody, if I can talk to them about the food that they yearn for, the food mm. that they want when they're happy, the food that mm. they want when they're sad, when they're joyful, that central thing mm. can lead us to friendship. It leads us to humanity. It leads us to a kind of opening up of the heavens and you can kind of rise through conversation and connection and you can meet someone who you have nothing else in common with but you can understand why they want a lobby if you're from Stoke-on-Trent <laughs> or whatever it is you're talking about, you yeah. know, because that one dish, that thought, that thing is core to our humanity. Mm, mm. And so the idea, when people talk about soul food, I feel like it's like a caress. Yeah. So soul food is that. And then the second one is one word, and that word is auntie. <laughs> and I... <laughs> Love being an auntie, yeah. you know, like, and I don't just mean my brother's kids. Yeah. I mean all the people that have grown with my daughter, mm. all the younger people that I meet mm. who now call me auntie. <laughs> I love it so yeah, much. Yeah, like yeah. me and Nana, Nana's my best friend. I'm talking about Nana Cherry, yeah, right? She's yeah, my best yeah. mate. And we were at Carnival a few years back. Neither of us drink very much anymore. Mm. Carnival, I don't have the energy. And we had our like weird like pear champagne or whatever. <laughs> and we were sitting on these like funny deck chair things outside our house. And she looked at me and she went, how did this happen? <laughs> I, I just... One minute, we were like out in carnival, running up and down, running wild. And next thing, we're the aunties. But it's like, I feel so proud yeah. to have reached this moment. Auntie status. Auntie status. Certified, yeah. Certified auntie. <laughs> like when they get the boys coming and the girls coming in carnival or whatever it is, and they're like, is it ready? And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's coming. It's coming, the food, right? And they're like, oh, auntie, man, are you making chicken? And I feel so connected to this like centuries old tradition. Mm. 
mm -hmm. of you reach a point in your life and in your world mm -hmm. where you can embrace the younger people yeah. around you. And it just yeah. feels like a privilege yeah. and in I, the and most I, beautiful way. Yeah, and me. I guess in a weird sort of way, I'm, I'm so with you. Two incredible choices that feel beautifully connected as well like I've been thinking about uncles as well mm. like you know I kind of you know as, as a, you know, somebody that's like you know getting older about to turn 40 You're getting your first when you get called uncle yeah, it's yeah. like oh god yeah, but you know you embrace it and I don't think it's necessarily just about age and mm. I think about that nurturing that mm -hmm. that auntie quality and I think and it's stuff, also like. about embracing my own wisdom mm. you know and understanding that I have gathered quite a lot of wisdom yeah. over the years. Yeah. I turned 60 this year. Yes. So it's a very contemplative year, I yeah, think. You know, it's yeah. a real moment. You know, there are yeah. different sort of um, moments that you hit in your yeah. life. I'm like, oh. How did you approach it? Was there was there an evolution in the way in which that I you just, were... I feel like I've just been sort of slowly rolling towards mm. it. And mm. now I feel like I'm standing up in it tall. Yeah. Yeah. And it feels good. It yeah. feels like a good place to be, yeah. you know, because A, I'm still alive. And I'm grateful for that because I've lost quite a lot of people along the way, obviously, mm. at this point in my life. Mm. And there's something about reaching 60 where you do get like a retrospective. You start to look back. Mm. And you start, and I'm looking at all the things that I've done and places I've been and things I've kind of gathered in my soul yeah. and knowledge and what I want to do more of yeah. and what I want to do next. So it feels like a really kind of powerful place mm. to be. All my life, people have said to me, you're a very powerful mm. woman. And I never really, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Sitting here, I've got 20p. I'm just like stressing out. Don't feel very powerful. Don't feel very powerful, but now I get it. Yeah. And I am powerful yeah. and yeah. I love it. Yeah. And I love to feel that way and to understand that assertion and authority are not aggression. To understand that as a woman, you can embrace that power mm. socially mm. and actually feel good in it. Yeah. And I think it's difficult for women to hold that close mm. and to feel that authority yeah. and to feel that position in the world. Welcome back to Where's Home Really with me, Jimmy Famarewa. Today, I'm talking to chef and presenter, the amazing Andy Oliver. Hello. Hello. Let's talk about your person. Everything I know about you, you've cultivated these almost like ragtag collectives of, you know, I've seen you talk about Christmas having multiple waifs and strays. And, yeah, yes. you know, you've had this open house kind of um, policy throughout the various places that you've lived. Mm -hmm. um, who are you going to go for? As your, I'm going to go that for really, Nana, yeah, Jerry. Yeah. Because she's my sister in. Mm. Like forever. Mm. She was just 17 when we met and yeah. I was 18. Yeah. So we were teenagers. <laughs> uh, we met, my brother had had a car crash and he was in hospital and he had his leg in traction. They mm. used to put you in the traction. Mm. He was there for ages. And I came down and Nana used to go and read to him every mm. day from this African Bible that she had. Oh, wow. Had all these stories in. She used to go and read to him. And he had sickle cell anemia too, yeah. my brother. And I walked into the room 
And she was sitting next to the bed. And I remember what she had on. She had this like little head tie on. And she'd just come back from Sierra Leone. Mm. And this like blue, like little rapper thing, Lapa. <laughs> and Sean was like, this is Andy. And I said, oh my God, are you Nana? Because he'd been telling us about each right, other all right. the time. Yeah, yeah. And we were like, hi. And it was like, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It was like love at first sight wow, wow, for both wow. of us. He knew intuitively that we needed each other. Mm. And so she grew up in Sweden in the South mm. as well as New York and also, but she and I had had similar experiences mm. about being the only black girl mm. and we just recognised each other immediately and this is how long ago it was it was in UCH hospital we went in the hallway and oddly I don't even smoke had a fag <laughs> <laughs> in the hallway and then came back in Literally talked to each other for half an hour, came back in and we said, we're going to sing together. And about two months later, we were on the road together. <laughs> I wasn't even a singer. She was already making music, but I hadn't done any yeah, music. Yeah, we yeah. just said, well, let's sing together. That's and then incredible. I think about two weeks later, the Slits were playing at the, a, a venue that was called uh, The Venue. Mm. And at the end of the gig, Nana looked down and saw me and pulled me onto the stage. <laughs> and we were just, we went into this dervish dancing mad thing. And then Gareth said to me, do you want to come on tour? Wow. Oh, and and then I the went beginning on tour. That's your... how I started singing. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, there's never been a plan. Yeah, yeah. But it, what it says to me is that there was something in you that yeah. as much as we're talking about Pigeon Point and the Caribbean, the Antiguan side of you being really defining and shaping you, there's this other component yeah. that is kind of like Proper punk and British. And yeah, man. Have they ebbed and flowed in terms of like what's dominated, like I, in the kind of mix of who you are? Like, I think how is that, so. How is I mean, that? the thing that drew me to punk, I realise, is that it was, it was always about not having to be one thing. Mm. You could do whatever mm. you wanted and be whoever you wanted. And for me, it, there was always a kind of clash for myself in that, you know, I would come down to London and be with black kids in London and they thought I was weird. Yeah. yeah. And then I was in Berry, and they were like, you know, go home back to where you come mm. from. And I just was, mm. I just was very like, why are you all telling me to be the opposite of who I am? I don't know what you mean. Yeah, I don't know who yeah, you want me to yeah. be. And it was always really confusing and really upsetting. And I never felt like I fitted in anywhere. Yeah, yeah. And then punk happened and they went, excellent. Mm. Do wear those shoes on your head if you feel like it. The yeah. first thing I ever wore on stage was my mum's bedroom curtain and I just wrapped it around myself and stuck a pin in it it was a nice curtain it was a very nice curtain it was like a damask burgundy with a kind of gold inlay I mean it was a good curtain did your mum know that you'd taken it I just took it down I don't know she she left she was left with one she must have missed it <laughs> I'm just picturing the scene your mum sort of toddling going, over to draw the curtains and like, curtain? yeah, cut to you on stage <laughs> I just love that there were no rules yeah, and yeah. meeting Nana she had grown up in this very freewheeling family mm. like her mother was this extraordinary artist Moki mm. Cherry her mm. dad was the very famous trumpet player Don Cherry yeah. Moki's incredibly famous and well-known now as well. Mm. Just mm. extraordinary mm. woman, unbelievably inspiring, brilliant woman. And her dad, Don, just like Merlin, you know. Mm. And I, Nana drew me into her world mm. very quickly and we drew into, into each other's world. But I learnt the art of being free mm. from Nana. Mm. She wow. taught me that I could be whoever I wanted to mm. be. You know, we used mm. to wear these like massive kind of gowns, flowing gowns, and then we would tuck the, un the up into our knickers <laughs> and take our shoes off and just dance and then cook. And that yeah. was our world, you yeah. know, sing, dance, cook, repeat. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we did yeah. all yeah. the time. And that yeah. gift that 
Nana gave me is one of the most precious things mm. anybody has ever given me. Yeah, Everybody yeah. needs to be seen. Mm. And we saw each other. Yeah. And yeah. we still do. She came to see me the other day and we don't get that much time yeah. on our own, you know. Yeah. It's like, And it's funny because people, when we're together, people want to be around us. Right. And yeah. that's a lovely thing. Yeah. But sometimes we're like, can you just <laughs> go away? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sofas and kind of family and people around you, obviously Celebrity Gogglebox <laughs> and you and Makita are now this kind of, even more so, this dynamic duo now. Um, and you've got the podcast, which is incredible. I was telling you Thank off mic you. that it's, it's, it's such, a, such a good listen. It, it fascinates me this because I think, obviously you've worked together in varying forms like the incredible show that you did in the Caribbean I think I might have messaged you like separate to that you did the things that you and Makita were talking about and a lot of similar to the things we were talking about today about Mm -hmm. this feeling of not belonging feeling that connection Makita was talking about her own journey with with you know her blackness with Mm -hmm. her heritage and um, how she's come to kind of reconnect and embrace it what has it been like, first of all, working together in such a kind of concentrated way? Like well, the reality it, of it is it? Do you have to just be like, okay, we let it all hang out, we show it all, yes. right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, I'm a. We're both like that kind of anyway, yeah. Because I just I think the truth works. The truth matters, mm. but the truth also works because you're not trying to kind of keep up with some stupid lie that you've yeah. perpetrated or, yeah. or, or 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 some facade. Mm. I'm, it's too tiring, all yeah, of that stuff. Yeah. And certainly for Makita and I, we got, we're so... So I had it when I was 20 and I was on my mm. own till she was about 10 or 11. And then I met Garfield, my partner, who's yeah. still my partner. And I think that those 10 years of us just being like mm. just me and her. Yeah. She said to me the other day, quite recently, you know, we're a team. Yeah. We've always yeah. been a team. Yeah. And so... It's just us being mm. ourselves. We mm. make each other laugh because we know each other so well. She's like, and you know, I hate it when parents go, she's my best friend. Because <laughs> they're not meant to be your best friend. Yes. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you know. I'm the mother. Yeah. She's got her own friends. Yeah, I've got yeah. my own yeah. friends. But she's clearly a cornerstone in yeah, my life. Yeah. And obviously one of the most important human beings in that life, yeah. in my life. What ways does that relationship differ from... You know, the environment that you grew up in, the house that you grew up mm. in, the the parenting that you were kind of, um, that, that you were shaped by. Because I always find this fascinating I and, th- you know, it comes I think down to that. What's quite interesting is that I think for my, certainly my parents and my parents' generation, there was a, there's a gap between understanding the other person's life. Mm. Mm. Um, I understand Makita's life because mm. I, you know, when Makita, have you always understood it? Yes. Mm. So when they started going out, mm. when they were way too young to be going out, <laughs> fourteen or whatever they were, she's probably even younger than her. You know, she would go to a club that I used to go to because half of them were still there. She'd go, yeah. I met some guy called, you know, da 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 da, and I'd go, is that guy still trawling about? <laughs> Trying to talk to young girls. Tell him your mother said, "Stay away from the kids." <laughs> yeah. Or her and yeah. my niece. I remember to, that line. Yeah. They used to use my name or Nana's name or Tessa's name, like some of the aunties' mm. names, to repel weird dudes. Right. Do you know what I mean? They'd go, they guys go, "Hi, how are you doing, girls?" Yeah, and they'd yeah, go, "I'm yeah. Andy's daughter," and they'd go, "Oh." <laughs> and, <laughs> 
<laughs> just like, sorry about that. We'll see you later. It's like, you know, because the same stuff was going on. I was a teenager in London, older, mm. but I was out partying, running yeah, yeah, parties, yeah. DJing, yeah. doing stuff, doing all the things that yeah. they were doing. So I knew what was happening mm. in their world and mm. what was happening in their life. So there wasn't that kind of chasm of experience. Obviously, yeah. it was different because generationally it's a bit different, but mm. I knew what, I, you know. Yeah, I'm awake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what's going on. In. So, so I think. So I guess it was a lot was more honest, rather than a lot like more honest with with a lot of, and I think this is especially true of like diaspora kids and second generation kids. That there's this, there's the person you are at home, yeah. and then there's the person you yeah. are sort of out in the streets yeah. and out in the world. And it's definitely true of me that there was a kind of, you know, we're too busy. Don't ask, don't tell. Yeah. Like yes, you know, you're kind ask, of don't yeah, tell policy. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. With me, it was like I knew too much. I'm kind of quite annoying for them mm. in lots of ways. Mm. Now, one time, my my niece was on the corner of Westbourne Grove trying to have a fag, trying to be like a grown up in the street. And my mate said he went up behind her and just took the cigarette out of her hand, didn't even say anything to her, put it out and kept walking. <laughs> How annoying is that, right? Yeah. So there was a lot of crossover, yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm grateful for it because I it just meant I had a third eye yeah. into that teenage world, yeah. which you kind of always want to have and you kind of almost need to yeah, have in so yeah. many ways. I think it also makes things a bit difficult because they can't circumnavigate you mm. so easily. You know, when you're a teenager, what you want to do a lot of the time is circumnavigate yes. your parents. Just yeah, like, yeah, get yeah, out of the way and yeah, you can't. Yeah, yeah. If I'm going, where are you going? Where are you going? I know what's in that bag. What's in that bag? Open the bag. Open the bag. You know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. Um, and our house was always the open house, like you yeah. said, but all the kids. I'd rather have the kids at my house. Yeah. And I know what's going on yeah, yeah. than have them around some weird guy, you know, yeah, some weird yeah, house, yeah. which I yeah. used to do with yeah, my mates. Yeah, of course. You know, yeah. so. That knowledge of that particular path meant that you were able to be like, look, just come and hang out here. Just come out that. and hang out yeah. here. Yeah, And yeah, I would of rather have yeah. 12 kids, teenagers <laughs> around mine so I know where they are, you know. Yeah. So that's what her childhood was yeah. like, really. You mentioned the cheese toasty. Yeah. Uh, food has just been a constant throughout our conversation. So let's talk about your plate um you know i imagine it's oh. quite tough because how do you pin it down to to one, one thing plate. or one dish so i've chosen oxtail braised oxtail mm. and rice and peas and planting and a really good crisp lemony salad because that's just like a dream <laughs> dish but i have to expand on that because what that is is one example of soul food yeah of and, and in Sweden, they call it husman's cost, mm. or they, la cucina povera. Mm. I call it poor people food. Yeah, it's yeah, like food yeah. that comes from invention, mm. food that is made by people who didn't have anything. Yeah. That magical element mm. where you get, so, I mean, it's a tale. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's one of the most delicious, incredible yeah. things in the world yeah, to me, yeah, oxtail, when it's yeah. cooked right. I love yeah. it. And from any culture, you, actually, yeah. like, you know, Italian oxtail is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Joe, who does my nails, was saying, oh, my mum makes an oxtail noodle broth. Mm, yeah. So any food that comes from that kind mm. of tradition mm. is my heart yeah. I love it so yeah. much and then the other thing I wanted to say is gravy <laughs> yeah. I, I am just as an umbrella category just, just give gravy. me the gravy yeah, yeah, okay yeah. don't bring yeah. me dry food because I don't like it <laughs> gravy 
binds. It's mm. like a kind of love language gravy mm. to me. <laughs> it's the kind of extra bit that you give. It's like the silkiness of yeah. it, the the roundness of it, the depth of flavour. Yeah, yeah. You know, in really fancy kitchens, there's a whole bit where they just make sauces. <laughs> That's what you do. What are you? I'm the saucier. That's my job. I just stand here and I make gravy. I'm like, you're yeah. rock. And Fantastic. also, I do really feel, so, you know, the high-end haute cuisine stuff that mm. we're talking about is beautiful and mm. there's an incredible skill and it takes years to learn how to cook like that. But I don't think it's more important mm. than braised oxtail and yeah. rice and peas. It's not more skillful either. Yeah. It's a different yeah. skill yeah. and it's a different level of beauty and it's a different thing. Yeah. Because we have not codified. Most most mm. poor people's food has not been codified. Nobody sat down and went, this is the way mm. you make an oxtail gravy and it has to be this way. Mm. Then, it, So it has not revered in the same way. And the skill that it takes to learn how to really put on a pot <laughs> and make that pot work, you know, it takes years. It's, take, it's yeah. taken me years to do, to do yeah, a good ox, yeah, yeah. oxtail. Yeah, yeah. I've nailed yeah. it now, but it took me a long time yeah. to learn how to do it. Because yeah. um, you have to learn from watching, because nobody will tell you either, they lie. <laughs> So yeah. you have to watch and pick up the secrets and try a little bit. Run, of, run, in, su- run in surveillance, you know what I mean? hiding in an airing cupboard. Yeah, All yeah, of that yeah. stuff. So I, 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 to me, it's just as beautiful, just as valuable, just as precious, just as desirable mm. as, you know, an incredible booyah base, which is, of course, poor, mm. poor people food anyway, but something like that. What are the things for you that you really think of as the ways in which Caribbean culture has has shaped the UK and the wider wider world. I, that's a really amazing question, actually, Jimmy. Because I think that it starts at such a kind of base root mm. level, you mm. know. But I think music. Mm. And our food mm. less outside of the home. Food needs to be more outside of yeah. the home because it, the, the still in culinary sense, I think it needs to be impacted more because people think Caribbean food is one thing. They call yeah. it Jamaican food yeah. to start, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely bananas, <laughs> as you can imagine. In terms of music and style mm, and approach to living. Mm, I think really especially for my generation, like I meet people, you know, we come from this beautiful, well, I think one of the jewels in the British crown is our multiculturalism. Mm. You don't find it anywhere in the world. Nobody does it like we do yeah, it here, yeah. especially in the cities. We've got this incredible melting pot of people who are influenced by each other, who take from each other, which I think is really, really yeah, important yeah. that we're allowed to take from yeah. each other's cuisines, from style, from all of those things. Yeah. You know, we have this modern thing about cultural appropriation. Yeah. I think it's a very complicated thing, cultural mm. appropriation, mm. because we do appropriate from each mm. other. It's, of course we do. We all live together. You grow up. Like, you remember when everybody gave um, Adele a really hard time when she had her hair in little yeah, yeah, knots? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, the girl grew up in Tottenham. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you, all her yeah. mates look like that. Yeah. Girl, why can't she leave her hair, leave her yeah, alone, yeah. let her do what she wants to do to her hair, my <laughs> yeah. God. It's complicated and it's complex, this this interchange and the different things that we're shaped by, yeah. right? The whole thing about Jamie and his jet rice, and they wanted me to go on the news and talk. I was like, I'm not going to go on the news and yeah. talk about... Right, don't yeah. Leave the man alone. And then I realised, I thought, why is it a problem that? Because it was a bit irritating. I thought, why is it irritating? Mm. I thought it's irritating because it means he doesn't understand what jerk is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jerk is not a spice. Yeah. Jerk is a cooking method. Yeah. 
and yeah. it's a spice. Yeah. And the cooking method came about because enslaved Africans were hiding from soldiers mm. up in the mountains the in Jamaica. The Maroons. Up mm. with the Maroons. And they covered the food so they couldn't see the smoke. And that's why the food is smoky. Mm. That's why it's cooked that way. So there's a story to it. There's a history to it. Mm. And it's important. Yeah. So you yeah. can't jerk rice. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. not a thing you can yeah, do because yeah. it's not seasoned. So it meant that he didn't fully understand yeah. what jerk was. And that's why it was annoying to mm. people. Not mm. because he wasn't Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like if he'd understood the entire picture of yeah, it, yeah. I just feel like we all borrow from each other. Yeah. I don't think mm. it's helpful to shut other people down. I don't think it's the way forward. If there's an issue, talk to them. And that way we elucidate, we explore, we have growth. I make bangs and mash all the time. Because yeah. I like bangers and mash. <laughs> they don't make bangers and mash in the Caribbean, but it doesn't matter because I'm yeah, also yeah, yeah. English. It's, I'm also British. Yeah, you, don't, you don't love it any less. It doesn't mean I don't any love less. it any less. All of this, I couldn't agree more, um, as with so many things you've said. <laughs> it has been my pleasure to, to understand a little bit more of where and how you make your home and you've built up this wonderful person that you are. Thank you. Um, I look forward to seeing you soar and to... Uh, actually meeting more now. now yeah, you, that, do you want yeah. to come over? Yes, I'm come coming. Over. I'm coming. Come I'm on in. the podcast. Come on my podcast. Yes. And then I'll feed you. Amazing. And then there will be a heaving table. To be continued. To be continued. Andy Oliver, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Amazing. That was so much fun. It was just so interesting and so fascinating. The layers to who Andy is. She's so spirited, so smart, and so open to kind of new experiences, new ways of thinking, and so kind of rule-averse that you just can't help but feel like uplifted to like be in her presence. So that is it for another episode of Where's Home Really? Please join me next time for more stories about family and culture, food and belonging. And we'd love you to follow Where's Home Really on your favourite podcast platform. It's always great to hear your thoughts, so do leave us a comment or a review. Like Penny, who wrote a wonderful podcast, I love the way I am transported into the home of each guest. I feel so warm and fuzzy when I hear the perspectives of family life. Please, please keep these coming. Uh, I promise that isn't my mum under a pseudonym. But Penny, we absolutely are. Um, You've got a whole new series to enjoy. So stay tuned for a whole host of brilliant new guests coming up, dropping into your feed every Thursday morning. From Podimo and Listen, this has been Where's Home Really? Hosted by me, Jimmy Famarewa. The producers are Tayo Popula and Aidan Judd. The executive producers for Podimo are Jake Chudnow and Matt White. And for Listen is Kelly Redmond. Until next time.